1, Hebrews chapter number 1. If you join us there, that would be wonderful. Hebrews chapter number 1. If you don't have an outline, we'd like for you to grab one and uh, hopefully have an usher come down. Thank you, Brother John. He'll be coming down and he'll be able to get one into your hands for you to grab one and join us. Hebrews chapter number 1. And uh, we'll finish out the chapter today and uh, obviously trying to keep this Bible study a little shorter because of the congregational meeting. So as um, Brother John makes his way to the back. If you need an outline, please get his attention. love for you to follow along as we finish up chapter one and our consideration of it. What have you learned thus far? And uh, most of you have been here for it. What have you learned? So we'll just make a very quick review. The first point, and we'll get to the third point of chapter one this, uh, this evening. And so the first point was simply this. Jesus Christ outspeaks the prophets. We saw the description of the incomplete revelation given by the prophets of old, the messengers of old, and, and such in the Old Testament. And then we saw how he presents Jesus Christ in that verse number two as the incomparable revelation, that Christ is the ultimate complete revelation of God to you and I as mankind. And so we understood that. We said that the key word was better. Uh, the word better, we find it throughout and a comparison throughout many times throughout many of these chapters of Hebrews and such. And so um, then uh, last week we, we delved into the next comparison in chapter one, and that's between Jesus and the angels. Verse four makes it clear that Jesus is better than the angels. He has a more excellent name than the angels. And uh, we talked about how these two terms are pointing to the exaltation of the rank of Christ over the angels. I just as I said last week, if, if in studying and pre- preparing for messages, boy, I could just uh, I could just share with you all the study and so forth. It, it's pretty amazing how the Jews looked at angels and so forth. There's so much more I haven't shared with you that I've read and so forth. That, uh, just some of them holding them up, some of them and how they're, they're created and, and so forth. It's just pretty amazing how the Jews viewed the angels across the spectrum. So that's why this is important. While Paul, as the author of Hebrews, had to say, okay, you you you, you think the angels are a wonderful creation, and certainly they are, but they do not compare at all to Jesus Christ. There's no comparison, and so that is the presentation we have for us here. He is of a higher rank, and so that's what we said. Jesus Christ, number two, outranks the angels, and we see this from these verses and so forth, uh, and following verse four and following. Number one, the angels are servants of God or ministers of God, while Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and uh, these verses here point that out. Uh, Verse number five calls him the Son and so forth. We saw the uh, comparison there. Number two, we saw this statement. The angels worship before the throne of God, while Jesus sits upon the throne and a much higher exalted position and uh, we saw that borne out and even verse 13 but to which of the angels said he at any time sit on my right hand uh, until i make thine enemies thy footstool and so we see that there Uh, we talked about that term first begotten referencing position or rank again as we talked about we also uh, discussed verse number seven makes it clear what is the trifecta ministry of the angels where they're either ministers or messengers or managers god puts them in charge of things to take care of things and so forth, and that's borne out in scriptures too. We came uh, to verses 8 and 9, and I think this uh, we left some blanks here for you to fill in as part of review. Verses 8 and 9 are a reiteration or a quoting of Psalm uh, 45, 6, and 7. We learned several things from that passage and this passage in Hebrews about the deity of Christ. It shares several, several truths. Number one, the Son is directly addressed as the eternal God. Uh, he is not a created being. He is not anything other than what the Bible calls him to be and says he is. What God himself declares him to be, even as in this passage. It's a great passage declaring the deity of Jesus Christ. Number two, we saw that he has ascribed a royal, eternal throne. He is the ruling, supreme, sovereign God of all eternity. 
crucial point and a doctrinal point to who Jesus Christ is. Then we said, number three, uh, the defining characteristic of his kingdom will be righteousness and is righteousness. And, and that is borne out. No other kingdom is typified by that or characterized by that. And then number four, we said this, he is the anointed king of kings, superior to both angels and men. And so borne out in verses eight and nine. And then we quickly looked at verses 13 and 14 where we saw letter C, that final point, angels minister to the heirs of salvation while Jesus masters the enemies of the cross. And what a great statement. And, and, and all this evidence, we've made this statement. The evidence is irrefutable. One of the keys here, we'll see it again tonight, Paul, as the author of Hebrews, quotes much of the Old Testament. Many of them are messianic passages or messianic uh, uh, psalms and other places describing the coming Messiah, and he is ascribing those to Jesus Christ to prove to the Jew the Hebrew. Okay? Now remember, there are some huge hurdles the Jews have to overcome. What do most of the Jews, even some of his disciples, believe about the Messiah? Well, when he come, when he would come, that he would establish an earthly kingdom right then and there. So that's a big hurdle to overcome. And so Paul is helping them say, okay, let me, let me point to Jesus Christ he was, even though he died on the cross and uh, he was buried and he rose again. Uh, he, he did so to bring you liberty from your sins that is much greater than political liberty. liberty. But he also says he is still the Messiah, and he will one day establish his kingdom. And so Paul is saying that and making this, or presenting this evidence all through the book of Hebrews. We made this statement, and I think it's so good for us to understand, uh, talking to some different folks this week and even some before the service of sharing the facts, the truth of the gospel, okay? Reality is this. Uh, the chapter proves it. The facts, uh, the evidence, you can refuse, but you can't refute it. We talked about that as we finished up last week. To refute something means to disprove it, to show where it's wrong. You can't do that with these facts. Paul is making it clear and obvious. Jesus Christ is God. He is the Messiah. Now, you may refuse it. You may refuse to acknowledge him as such, but the facts are the facts. You can't change that. Now, we live in a society that loves to do what? Change the facts, or at least attempt to. On all things, right, political and so forth, and certainly even religiously speaking and uh, biblically speaking and so forth, they love to change the facts. Well, the reality is you can't change the evidence or the facts. And you can try to hide it. You can try to change it in some way, but it doesn't work. The facts are the facts, and that is what we see presented here. Now, let me also encourage you as we finish up chapter 1 tonight, let's remind ourselves this. This has been a very doctrinal passage. Okay? Hasn't been a ton of practical stuff. In other words, we haven't been challenged, okay, in my Christian life, I should do this. In my Christian life, I ought to live like this. That hasn't been in chapter one. We'll get there starting chapter two. There's a little bit of a challenge that way, but it builds. We get into the latter half of Hebrews, much like Romans, there's a huge practical thrust. What's happening here? Now, I compared it last week to kind of laying the foundation. If we were building a building, you have to lay the foundation, the footer, and everything else. You have to make sure that that building's ready to be built. Something has to have a stable foundation, and so the subfloor and so forth, all those different things. That's what Paul is establishing spiritually here. You know, literally, as we could say it, before we get to the doing, we must know why we believe what we believe. We must know why we do what we do. And I think here's where the Hebrews really comes to, to play. We must know for whom we do what we do. I hope tonight, Christian, as you live your life, you're not living it for you. You're living it for Jesus Christ, uh, the Savior, your Lord. And Hebrews is much about proving he, this is who he is. He is worthy of you living for him. 
He, he is worth, and so we have to learn who he is. And here he's trying to prove to the Hebrews, the doubting Hebrews, and others who, who don't believe that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. And so he's proving that. So let's finish up chapter one, the rest of this foundational aspect. Look at verse 10, if you will, with me. Verse 10, and thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens, uh, and, excuse me, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. Verse 11, they shall perish, but thou remainest, and they all shall wax old as doth a garment, and as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. Great statement here. We have a, uh, what I would say is, uh, some of you probably wonder, why do we skip over these verses last week? We covered the uh, verses 13 and following there. Uh, why do we skip over this? Well, I, I believe this little insertion of truth is found in the broader scope of the truth of God outranking the angels. We find this truth here. How are we going to term it? Well, uh, kind of keep our alliteration or an outline here. Number three, we're going to just simply say this. Jesus Christ outlasts the universe. He outspeaks the prophets, he outranks the angels, and now Paul, the author of Hebrews, is saying, look, I, I, let's look to the universe, let's look to the creation, and Jesus Christ, he outlasts them, okay? I love it, because here's a great truth about Jesus Christ it reveals. Jesus Christ was active, in fact, many believe, and I would believe that, that he was the principal agent in creation at the beginning, as it says here, I like this statement, uh, all of creation, it was the what? The work of his hand. The work of his hands. But you know what we know about Jesus Christ? And isn't this good? Jesus Christ is still in the creating business. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. You know, my friend, he was the creator back then, and he is a creator even today. As men and women put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he creates them to be a new creature. And Jesus Christ is just as active in today's creation as he was back then. Furthermore, you're, you probably already noticed that some of you, this is one of those quotes from the Old Testament and a psalm uh, that the Hebrew Jewish reader would have recognized and would have been familiar with. It is Psalm 102, 25 through 27. So let's look there, and uh, we, don't, uh, we won't be turning much tonight. So let's just turn over to Psalm 102, if you will, with me. We'll just read the same passage. You'll see, this, obviously, the quotation taken from this. Psalm 102, verses 25 through, through 27. And then we'll make some observations about this psalm here. Psalm 102, verses 25 and following, it says this, of, of old hast thou laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of thy hands. Verse 26, they shall perish, but thou shalt endure. In the, in the New Testament, we have the word remain in the English. Yea, all of them shall wax old like a garment. As a vesture shalt thou change them, and, and they shall be changed. Verse 27, but thou art the same. And thy years shall have no end. I love that. Here you have Paul. He's issuing, once again, and this is just uh, throughout chapter 1, more evidence for the deity of Jesus Christ. Uh, the Jehovah is the subject matter. If you were to read through all this, uh, it's a prayer unto the Lord, Jehovah. Uh, the term El is used here for God. Jehovah is used here in this passage throughout this psalm. And so you see that here, and he identifies Jesus Christ as Jehovah, as God himself in this passage. Uh, the, the theologian H.A. Ironside also would submit to us that verses 23 and 24 are indicative of Jesus Christ in view of the cross kind of pleading with God the Father. And then these verses we just read are God the Father's response to God the Son. 
just merely specifying and clarifying that he outranks and he outlasts all of the creation that he created. Now, remember, where is this found in Hebrews? It's found in the middle of a passage that he's talking about how Jesus Christ outranks the angels. And so you see it obviously shows his superiority to the universe here that he created, but it also shows his superiority to the created angels because he is the eternal creator of all things. Okay? So let's make a couple simple points and we'll be done. Letter A is this. Creation will collapse. Creation will collapse. Okay? Uh, in, in verse number, back here in Hebrews chapter 1, in verse number 10, he identifies the earth and the heavens as what he's talking about. And notice the descriptions that we have. They shall perish. They shall wax old. They shall be changed. I mean, uh, this is showing the, uh, the essence of they will collapse. They will not last. They, they will not be around much longer. You know, so there's many today uh, who worship the vast universe, the awesome creation. And just think about how many have worshipped some aspect of creation down through history. Now, we think of the Jews and where they were in different places. The Jews spent some time in Egypt. What did the Egyptians worship? Well, they worshipped the Nile River. That was a huge one of their deities and something they worshipped and held in great thing. They worshipped the sun god and, and many others and animal shapes and so forth. They, they mentioned uh, worshipped all kinds of gods and much of nature, forces of nature, uh, they worshipped likewise. The Babylonians, who the Israelites were certainly influenced at the time, they, they worshipped uh, stars and uh, held them in high esteem, astrology and so forth. And, and they worshipped the stars. They even worshipped uh, other forces of nature. They made many of their gods in the shape of animals and such and kind of co- making that correlation uh, and so forth. And w- w- we could go on and on. Many civilizations, Henry Morris, who, who wrote Long War Against God, details many of the, the worshipping of the universe around us and the powers that be of the universe and so forth. Why? Why do people pick the universe? Why do they worship the sun and and why do they uh, worship the earth and so forth, mother earth and so forth? Why why are there people? Because here's reality. Guess what comes up almost every day? The sun. What is there every time you wake up and every day and every month and every year and throughout your lifetime, the earth is there. In other words, we make this statement. The fact is this, the creation all around us seems to be what? Very permanent. Lasting. A, an aspect, a, a reality, a part of our lives that seems like it's, it's just going to be here forever. In fact, in, in the gospel, we've talked about it before in Second Peter. Um, uh, he had to address this, right? Because some were throwing doubts like, listen, uh, Jesus Christ is not going to return. Uh, that's not going to happen. He's not going to come back to earth. As things have been since the beginning of creation, they have always been, they will always be. Here's the verse. You probably remember it. We studied it. In saying, where's the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, notice this statement here. All things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. So you have to understand, this is an attitude, this is a mentality of, okay, creation, the universe, it's always been around, it's it's always been here, and so forth, and and certainly if, uh, you know, the the, the erroneous belief of evolution and so forth uh, plays into this, right? It's been around billions and billions and years and so forth, and how can we know how the galaxies, how long have they been around and so forth? That plays into that, and certainly you can see why people worship it in the sense, the, the nature, Mother Nature, Mother Earth, and so forth. And so many cultures in history have incorporated some aspect of worshiping. And I think here's the key. What is it about creation? 
and about the universe that they worship, that they find, shall we say, um, the worshipability of it. <laughs> Not a word, I made it up. Um, but uh, uh, why do they find it, uh, the, it, it? It deserves the validity of worshiping great. Now, don't miss this. Here's why. Because they see power in the creation. If you lived in a village and, and uh, that village was next to a, a, a river and that river flooded and destroyed your village, you'd think that river was pretty what? Powerful. You see a tornado, you see a whirlwind, and you can see the destruction and how, how little you can, can't control it, and it, it can devastate things. Boy, that would show you how, how uh, powerless you are and how powerful the universe is. Uh, we know that certainly through the springtime we hear of uh, tornadoes and things, and, and certainly there are forces of nature that are powerful and so forth. But the reality is this, and here's what the author of Hebrews makes the point here. The universe and the forces of nature may be powerful in some sense, but there is a creator that created them that is so much more powerful. He is Jesus Christ. And so many get caught up in this universe, and then he makes this point, and I, I think it's a great illustration, okay? Uh, he says all of this is going to fade away. It's, it, it's going to fall away. In fact, the, the terminology here, he describes it. It's, it's like a garment that waxes old. Now, don't you hate this? I, I am probably <laughs> silly, but probably the thing that I envy the most of the Israelites during their 40 years, their 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, you remember what happened to their clothes? They didn't wear out. Now, I'll tell you, I'm the kind of guy who could care less about fashion, and I could wear the same thing for 40 years, and I could be happy. I could be happy. I mean, if it would never wear out, if you'd never get a hole in it, if something wouldn't happen where, uh, you know, for me, it's dress shoes that go out like that, you know, and you wear, wear holes in them and so forth, and, and the cushion. I mean, how many of us have ever gone to a drawer and you, or a closet and you pulled out your favorite clothing item, maybe it's a shirt, and all of a sudden you hold it up and it's, it's stained irreparably. You know, you can't, you can't fix it. No detergent's going to take care of that and, and uh, nothing. Or it has a hole in it. There's a tear in it and so forth it's uh, then it's really not good for anything with a very sad countenance you you take it and throw it away what about our children uh, how many of your children have had a blanket that they held on to and would not let go ah we've had blankets in our family that look like barely rags and trying to get that away from the child is something else and you try to reason with them look at that thing that's disgusting i know but it's my blankie I was so happy when my children, yeah, don't tell them this, when my children lost their blankie outside. Eric and I rejoiced. They looked for it. They couldn't find it. And we couldn't find it for a while. We found it a couple weeks later. We never gave it to them. We moved them on to a different blankie in those two weeks. And praise the Lord. Amen. Why? Things wear out. Right? Clothing wears out. You have a favorite piece of clothing and so forth. I think sometimes we as guys, we love a favorite hat. We love a favorite piece of clothing. And we will wear it into the dirt. We're back to dirt. <laughs> Uh, and, and literally, that's a great representation of what is happening to the universe. In fact, here, here's what you say, okay, well, yeah, that's just what that verse is saying. Well, no, actually, that's what science says. See, science has confirmed what the Bible has said here. The universe is winding down, and, and we could share many things, but let me just share a few. The, the sun is burning out at a rate of 4.2 million tons a second. It's burning out. 
It's burning up, if you want to describe it as such. It's burning up. The stars, they, they burn out like sparks in campfire. Astronomers have photographed the rubble and debris of stars that have exploded and vanished from the sky. Their energy has been consumed and eaten up. Uh, galaxies like the Milky Way have a measurable life cycle. And other heavenly bodies have a measurable life cycle. Animals have become extinct. The universe is winding down. Everything that we can think of materially. Let me ask you this. Do the tires on your car last forever? Well, no, right? They get a hole in them. They can wear out. And uh, maybe even the band inside breaks and so forth. They wear out likewise. And you ever bought, you ever bought a new car? Man, it looks good. You shine it and so forth. But all of a sudden, you get that first nick. The first little scratch. And then something goes wrong inside, and that, something has to be prepared in the engine. And you know what you think in your mind? This is the beginning of the end. It's, it's almost over with this car. Everything deteriorates. Everything is winding down, and, and certainly God created it as such. Everything, materially speaking, is breaking down. It's collapsing. Now, here's the question. Why in the world would you pin your hope on that? You look around and, 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 you know, the climate change and things that uh, maybe some uh, minor validity to things happening and reality is this. It is winding down. It, it is not getting better. This universe is decaying. It is corrupting, if you want to use that terminology. It, it's not getting better. Why in the world as a person would you want to pin your hope in that? I would also say it this way. I, I'm all, and, and I have preached along these lines, I'm all for being a good steward of creation. God has called us to be a faithful steward of, of creation and such. We ought to be that way. But I'll tell you this, I'm not going to waste a lot of energy and time trying to revive a dying earth. Okay? It's not going to be the thing that dominates my life, and I've got to go out and do all this and spend all this. Time. Listen, this earth is dying. It's deteriorating. This universe was not meant to last. And the fact is this. The good news is there is a creator of this collapsing universe that is eternal and will last forever and is worthy of your trust. That is what the author of Hebrews is saying. Notice what he says in verse 11 and 12. Here is Christ's superiority thrust before us. But thou remainest. Thou art the same, and thy year shall not fail. And I love that statement there. That word fail means literally, in the Greek, it means that it ceasing. It will not cease. And that's letter B also. You see it there. Christ will not cease. The universe is collapsing. The universe will collapse, but Jesus Christ, he will not cease. Literally, as stated here, there's no end to the days of Jesus Christ, just as there is no beginning. The simple eternality of Jesus Christ, he is eternal, is presented here. No universe, no angel can compare with that. A trillion, billion years from now, Jesus Christ will still be on the throne. Our driving reminder for this year, you see it here on the walls behind me, you see it in the foyer, is simply this. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's as true and as accurate as it has ever been. He is. He's the same. He's the lasting. Uh, he will not cease. There's a great point implied in this statement, too. I love it. 
That's what's so great about Hebrews. You could really dig in and we could spend time on different words and things. But there's a veiled statement that Paul speaks of as he's speaking of Christ's eternality. He he compares it to the temporal status of the universe. And did you see what it describes that? As a vesture shalt thou fold them up and they shall be changed but thou art the same. Now catch it. The word vesture is like a, a, a um, covering. Okay? Think of it as a coat or a jacket. I was thinking about bringing a jacket in here. And the idea is this. Okay? Most of us right now, okay, when uh, you and I, when we have wear a coat, thankfully today we didn't have to wear a coat, amen. Uh, but you come in, you put on a coat. Now think about this. When we finally reach the point, probably June, that we don't need a jacket or a coat in Michigan, well, what will you do with your, uh, uh, your winter coats, okay? Well, we do in our house, obviously, because we have so many children, so many coats and everything else. We, we, we put them away. So you get them, and you fold them up, and you set them aside, okay? Uh, you, you store them somewhere until you need them. And if you put them away in June, that means you need them probably in late August. Uh, and uh, you get out those winter coats. But you, you, you fold them up, and you set them. That's literally what he's describing here. And he's saying, listen, Jesus Christ, you're going to take this earth and these heavens, you're going to fold it like that, and you're going to just set it aside. But you will remain. In fact, we see a, a passage in Second Peter chapter 3, verse 10. You remember uh, what he says here, and here, here's the point. You can fill this in before we get to the verse. The heavens and earth shall pass away, but he shall remain. That's what uh, the point here in Hebrews that is made, verse number 12, and and uh, verse 11 likewise. But no, notice this, because God says he will create a new heaven and a new earth. He'll, he'll fold those up. They will pass away. In fact, here's this verse in Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 10 says this, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Now notice this, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. And we know he'll create a new heaven and a new earth. We get that. That's Revelation. It talks about that. But the point here is this. Those things will pass away. They will be burnt up. But Jesus Christ will remain. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the author and the finisher of your faith. He is the rock of our salvation. He is our salvation. He is the anchor of our souls. He is our Savior and our Redeemer of everyone that trusts in him. He is God. He is eternal and he knows me and you personally. And aren't you thankful today you and I can say he lives? He is eternal. Men come and go. Worlds come and go. Stars come and go. Angels were created. But Christ never changes. He is never subject to change. Neither is he subject to alteration. He is eternally the same. And the author here in chapter 1 is making the simple point that he therefore he is superior and rules supreme over the universe and angels alike. That propels us into verse 1 of chapter 2. Look there with me, if you will. Notice it. It's in all caps because they begin the chapters this way. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed, and we'll get back into that verse in next week's study, but I will draw your attention to the word therefore. We know in scriptures when it says therefore, there is a because of that was just mentioned. Okay, so there's your blanks. Uh, There is a because of that is mentioned. Okay, so whenever we read therefore, we have to look back and say, okay, because of what? And chapter one is the because of. 
All these things we found out about our Savior and Jesus Christ, all the things that Paul says, hey, listen, Jew, this is what Jesus Christ is, who he is, what he has done, where he ranks, how he outspeaks the prophets, how he will outlast the universe. This is who Christ is. Therefore, and we know how it goes on, don't don't, uh, neglect that great salvation. Uh, Don't let it drift by you. We'll talk more about it next week, but this sets the table. This is the because of, behind, uh, the therefore. Therefore, it is fundamental. It's great for you and I to grasp it, to study it, to understand exactly what Paul is saying. We'll get into chapter 2 next week, and we'll find out about that. Brother Cliff, you'll